welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Colin Carr, the CEO of Carr Healthcare Realty, a commercial real estate firm that works with healthcare tenants and buyers in all 50 states. Colin, welcome. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, so I, uh, I gave the quick intro. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you guys do? Well, you hit it on the head. We are a commercial real estate firm. We have a double niche. We are only in the healthcare space and we only represent tenants and buyers. So our only clientele are physicians, veterinarians, dentists, et cetera. And our game plan is to help healthcare providers maximize their profitability through real estate. We handle lease renewals, expansions, uh, purchasing buildings, buying land, developing your own property, anything with commercial real estate we help with. And our 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 goal is save a, a significant amount of time for the providers or the administrators, whoever is handling the real estate, save a significant amount of money, capitalize on the best terms possible, lease rates, tenant improvement allowances, free rent allowances, et cetera. And then uh, just avoid costly pitfalls and complications. There's a lot of things that happen in commercial real estate that healthcare providers are not as savvy in regards to. We try to keep an eye out for those things, protect them. And then ultimately, we're trying to bring peace of mind. Real estate's a very costly part of the overhead. And we want healthcare providers to know and executives to know that they found the best property with the best terms possible. And they can put that question to sleep. Should I have been somewhere else? Should I have got a better deal? And they can focus primarily on the practice. Well, one thing that has certainly disrupted folks' uh, peace of mind um, in pretty much every area that you just described um, is with pretty much all walks of life over the the past 18 months has been the pandemic. Uh, With regards to the healthcare real estate space, um, what have been some of the biggest impacts you've seen and some of the biggest developments uh, over, over the past year and a half or so? Yeah, well, the the pandemic has definitely been disruptive. Uh, You know, obviously, with everyone not going to an office space or to a location predominantly for several months and then trying to ease back into it, uh, there has been some silver linings, though, to the pandemic. Uh, One of those is that uh, in the midst of some companies not being able to make it through the pandemic or deciding they don't need as many locations, it has softened the commercial real estate market a bit in certain markets. Uh, meaning that there's more vacancy in a lot of markets than there was previous to the pandemic. And more vacancy typically means higher concessions from landlords to make new deals. Where there's more vacancies, landlords get more motivated and they tend to lower lease rates or they offer uh, greater packages to come into their spaces, more free rent. They're willing to spend a little bit more money to, to make the spaces nicer. And they're a little more flexible than they were prior to the pandemic because they don't want that increased vacancy. So uh, you know, the market was a little confused for a while and then it started to open back up again. And the result today is that uh, most markets are still relatively strong. There's indicators in the economy that are still really healthy, even though there's some things that are not that healthy. Uh, but as a whole, commercial real estate, there's better opportunities and there's more uh, concessions available for most office users today than there was prior to the pandemic. So that speaks to better terms for a provider. Can you talk a little bit about how the implementation of telehealth has changed the equation for providers' brick-and-mortar needs? This has been a huge development within the behavioral healthcare 
an addiction treatment space. Uh, so many providers had to shift their operations online. Some of them were better prepared to make that transition than others. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, um, I know, within that sector in terms of, you know, what kind of staying power uh, that sort of infrastructure is going to have um, in, in the years to come. Um, but obviously, I would feel like that would certainly kind of change the math in, in terms of real estate needs for a lot of providers. Yeah, I mean, especially in the behavioral health and addiction, as you mentioned, if you can still accomplish a lot of what you're aiming to do over a Zoom call or over a video chat, et cetera, or over a conference call, there's a lot of positives to there. I, I also know from what I've heard is that there, there is a barrier to entry to getting in person with certain types of situations you're dealing with in the healthcare space. And if people are more comfortable in the convenience of their own home, whether they have the video on or off, that could be a great way to enter into getting help for a need that you have. Certain aspects of healthcare, such as seeing your veterinarian, that's not going to help you a whole lot. You might be able to show them a picture or get them on a video, but uh, a lot of healthcare, they still need to see you in person. The behavioral health uh, sector, though, does have the ability to do a lot of things virtually and not taking away from being in person because there's a lot of benefits to that as well. But um, I do think that uh, that the the electronic media, the the video chats, the conference calls, those technology platforms does help behavioral health reevaluate. Do we need as much space? Do we need to have our providers in the office five days a week? Are there certain uh, parts of our world that could be done at home online? And if so, then that allows them to reevaluate their footprint. Maybe we need a little bit less space. Maybe there's certain offices where one provider uses two weeks, one provider, or sorry, two days a week, one uses three days a week, and it gives them a little bit more flexibility. So when behavioral health organizations, um, when it comes time for them to renew their leases, what kind of keys would you recommend that they should be mindful of? I think it starts with the providers. Where do you want to work? Do you want to work predominantly in the office, predominantly from home? Next question, where do your patients want to be seen? Are, are they more comfortable at home? Are they more comfortable in the office? Is there a combination? And I think you reevaluate what you've been doing. A lot of times people get in a rut where they just say, what's well, always been done this way, but that's clearly not the case with, with healthcare, with technology, with a lot of our society. If you find that you don't need as much space, that's great. I mean, that you just reevaluate your space needs. How many offices, how, how large of a waiting room, what other facilities do we need to have? And then when you go to market, you look at the appropriate square footages. You, you look at the type of properties that you want to be located in, and you simply just adjust your requirement. Okay. So what are some common mistakes you see providers making in this area when it comes time to uh, negotiate or uh, evaluate their needs um, for, for uh, you know, what, uh, what, what kind of space that they, uh, they're going to need moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a handful of really common mistakes that healthcare providers typically make, and they usually make these more than maybe savvy corporations that focus more on real estate because it's, it's more of a, a dominant function in their business. One of the top mistakes that healthcare providers make is they don't look at enough of the market. They go out there and they maybe call on one property or they know somebody who has an office in a building and they go to that one property and they start negotiating and, and they really have no basis to compare those terms to the rest of the market. They don't know if they're getting an average deal, a great deal, or a poor deal. They don't know if that's the right amount of free rent that's that's commensurate with this market right now. 
they don't know how much money to ask for in a TI allowance because they have nothing to compare it to. They're talking to one landlord or one seller and they don't have a good gauge on, is this really good or average? Every landlord is going to tell you what they want you to hear. Oh, this is a great deal. It could be a terrible deal. Uh, so the, the, the first thing that we tell healthcare providers is make sure that you fully understand the market. You should be looking at, uh, at four or five properties minimum if it's available. Now, I realize some markets, it's really tight. If, if you are in Orange County, California, that's going to be different than looking at space in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But to the extent that it's available, you want to look at four or five properties minimum, and you also want to negotiate with multiple landlords simultaneously. And this is very different than residential. Residential real estate, you go look at houses, you find a house and you submit a contract. And when the seller signs that you're locked and loaded in commercial real estate, you negotiate on a non-binding basis with what's called a letter of intent or a request for proposal. And so in commercial real estate, you're negotiating with three or four landlords simultaneously. You get the benefit of seeing what is available. If one landlord gets more motivated with tenant improvement allowance or free rent, you can leverage those terms towards the other landlords and try to capture the best terms possible. So I'd say the first thing that health providers do that they, they need to stop doing is stop picking one property and stop negotiating with just one landlord. And that's, that's even more important when you're doing a lease renewal. You're in the property, the, the, the lease comes up for expiration, you start talking about a renewal and you start talking to just your landlord and you have no clue what's going on in the market, the odds of you getting favorable terms or capitalizing on the negotiation are very, very low because that landlord, especially, they're not going to give you great terms that they know that you're not looking at other properties. If they don't have a fear that you might move out, you're not going to see the best terms possible and you're not going to be able to create that posture without knowing the market. So I, I would say I can give you more than that, but that's that's a great place to start. No, I was going to say beyond, you know, kind of setting up almost like a bidding war, I guess, um, and, and, you know, talking with, with multiple landlords, do you have other recommendations uh, for ways that providers can save money during their lease renewal negotiations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hire hire a, a really qualified tenant representative broker to handle the negotiations for you. A lot of times in real estate, people say, well, if I do it myself, I'm going to save money. If you own the real estate and you determine not to hire an agent to represent you and you are determining the commission amount, you could do a, a for sale by owner for a lease by owner and you could save money. But if you're a tenant, the commissions are already set aside by the landlord. They're already going to be paid to the listing agent or the property manager. And so you don't save any money by not hiring a broker. And so not only by not saving money by not hiring a broker, but you also then go have to invest 30, 40 hours of your time to get a deal done properly. You also have to then try to become a market expert, which you don't probably have the capabilities to. And you're taking your time and energy away from your practice. And then you're not really qualified to do the work at the highest level. The landlord knows you don't really know what you're doing. And so uh, the best thing you can do is hire, hire an agent to represent you. They'll show you the market. They'll do the due diligence. They'll negotiate on your behalf. They'll protect you. They'll advise you at a high level and they'll make sure you see other properties. They'll make sure that you negotiate three or four rounds with three or four different landlords and they'll give you the information you need to make the most informed decision possible so that you know that you got the best terms available. Beyond just costs, what other factors should organizations be considering um, before they enter into their next real estate transaction? Are there, you know, things to look for in facilities, location, um, amenities? What, what else is, uh, what, what should be on folks' radar? 
Well, from a uh, from a, a location standpoint, you're looking at you know what's the parking like, what's the quality of the property, uh, what hours are they running the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Yeah, if you're going to see patients later till seven, eight p.m. at night, we need to make sure that the AC is going to run or the heat's going to run. We don't want the building turning off at five or six, and all of a sudden you've got a very uncomfortable environment. Um, you've got things with the space. What's what's the entrance? What's is there a secondary uh, uh, exit that's more private for patients to leave? Uh, is the property professionally managed? Who's managing the property? If you have an issue, who are you calling? Are you calling the individual owner at their house, or are you calling a professional management company that has a 24/7 uh, on-call attendant? Concepts like that are very important. Uh, economically, when you're looking at properties, it's important to realize that things that people maybe aren't as accustomed to, to, to talking about are, are typically available, such as it's very common for tenants to get free rent when they move into a new space. It's also very common for tenants to get free rent even when they renew a space in a building. And a lot of people don't, don't realize this. Again, talking more about renewals right now, if you move out of the space, the landlord's going to probably give that new tenant free rent. Well, why wouldn't you capture uh, you know, similar terms? The landlord's going to re-carpet, repaint. They're going to spend money on that space to renovate it and make it look nice. Why wouldn't you capture those same economic concessions if you're doing a lease renewal? And so uh, economically, I'd say there's a lot of items that are in play that a lot of healthcare providers are not aware of. It's not just the lease rate. It's what are the annual increases? Uh, who's personally guaranteeing the lease? How much free rent's available? How much money is available to renovate my space or to put up better soundproofing or to add that second exit or to expand next door into an adjacent vacant space? There's a lot of money that's available in commercial real estate for transactions. And you want to make sure that you're not leaving a lot of money on the table because you can, you can lose literally tens of thousands of dollars on one item if you don't know what you're doing. So you want to hire professional representation. You want to see the market. You want to negotiate with multiple landlords. You want to go multiple rounds and you want the person who's advising you to be able to tell you, listen, this is, this is real. I mean, it's not uncommon to get three or four months of free rent to start a new lease. That could save you tens of thousands of dollars if it's done properly. It really pays to ask questions sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and with questions, there's, there's good questions and there's bad questions. You can find healthcare providers that might hear something like this then they'll say, well, I'm going to go ask for the moon. You can ask for too much as well. If you ask for things that are not fair, that are not market, the landlord's going to think that you still don't know what you're doing and then they'll come back and give you nothing. So sometimes people say that the statement, it never hurts to ask. Some things actually do hurt to ask. <laughs> uh, ask a police officer if you can touch his gun. Like it's, <laughs> it's not going to go good. Like I can give you a lot of questions that are not good for you to ask someone, but when it comes to real estate, you want to ask for things that are market. You want to push. You want to push the limit, but not go too far. And so, having someone who knows the market who can educate you will really help make sure that you ask for what you should. You push it to the level you should, but you don't go too far. I'm glad we clarified that. That's uh, that's good to know, Colin. This has been good stuff, man. We uh, we packed a lot in here. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, it's, it's been fun being here. All right. As a reminder. You can subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts and other podcast listening platforms. Past episodes are also available on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Colin Carr, CEO of Carr Healthcare Realty, for joining us. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Podcast.